Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management. On WTMJ. Here we go. It is Saturday. It's March 31st. And look what the cat dragged in. Hey, guys. How you doing? I'm Mark Oswald, Dave Spano. We were here last I week. Know, Why I know. Why you got to be like that? And, and 13 years plus doing the show. Happy anniversary. And uh, uh, longer in, in the actual business through the thin and the thick, as I always say. You probably don't remember the start of the IRA. It celebrated its 40th anniversary this week, right? Well, we Did remember it. I was... I'm uh, sorry, 401k. That's yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. 32 years in the business. But it's, it's really... Uh, the changes that we have seen over the decades are amazing and 401k's are part of that obviously IRAs what has happened there but just the you know you think about what we've seen over the decades and obviously the ups and downs but exchange traded funds and we should spend some time talking about that because that really is probably 20 or 25 years old and it is a dominant factor in the market today it sure is yeah it, it was quite a week i mean you guys ever drive into work and just say okay what's next what, what next will happen what will either be a tweet or a press release or something that's going to get i saw the word fear pop up a lot right, this week right and again it's the volatility and the yeah. vix that we talked about you know we when we went through last year and it was very modest there was very few drawdowns the fear index was it was not a concern but here we are as of today and there's a scale zero uh, to 100 and anything you know one two three ten those are really fearful numbers 70 80 90 100 those are very aggressive numbers and of course buffett famously said when people are greedy be fearful and when they're fearful be greedy the number as of yesterday's close was an eight, and that is that is extreme fear. Mm. So, so the, you know, you think about why that's happening, Mark, and there's probably a number of conditions that are are putting people at you know at in concerned. But there's also the flip side, and we can get into why work we are are happy with what we're seeing coming up in the next quarter. But there are things that people should be concerned with. Well, no doubt about it. I mean, you look at the four pillars. We talk a lot about that on the show. You're looking at monetary policy, tax policy. Spending and regulation, and you know, um, trade, and and those pillars. I mean, for the most part, are pretty solid. And so, when you look at the economy as a whole, investors should be pretty optimistic. And and they should. But you look at the things that people are concerned about, and you mentioned the tweet, right? Mm -hmm. And people are, at, you know, they are reacting in the short term. And here, this just this morning and yesterday. Obviously, Trump is going after uh, after Amazon. Amazon, sure, and that's a concern. Do you we, look at you know what is that going to mean? If you look at some of the holdings, particular particularly in these exchange traded funds that I reference, they are a huge holding. You look at Google and Facebook; they're they're going to be under FTC concern, and they're 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 going to start to look at that. And when you know now, that probably could be a political issue, okay. obviously with Trump. and Amazon, but so, but that's possibility that that comes into play as well. And and it nicked the price temporarily and then it finished the day up so is it going to get to the point where somebody it could be anybody tweets something and the impact will be tempered well, yeah, yeah, that, yeah you hope so i mean you you hope that 
it's, I don't know. I mean, at some t- point in time, you hope that the tweeting doesn't affect the price of a stock. It should be the fundamentals of the company. You should. But you look at you know media and the Trump, and you look at you look at that that war is not going to go away, right? The media nope. and Trump no, war not is not going to stop. You look at Amazon, and, and the concern, of course, is that Bezos owns the Washington Post, right? right. And, and sure. that argument has been going on for a long time, and they are they're mortal uh, enemies in, in some extent. You talk about a trade war. Well, that came out of you know some tweeting. That did affect the market. In the long term, it is the fundamentals, it is the pillars, it is the economics that drive uh, not only the market but individual securities. And at the end of the day, if you sell more stuff, whatever it is that you sell, and at the bottom of the line you make more income, we can put a multiple on that and get a, get a reasonable valuation, and that's what's happening. You know, if you get stocks that are trading at 80, 90, 100 times, and there are some, that you know, some brand names that you know about, that's something you look at. But if something is trading at 10 or 12, why is it a value stock, and are their earnings going to go up? Then you start to put money in that area. Think about the VIX, Dave, again, and talking about that, that fear index that's in the market. And the VIX has come back. I mean, it's been up. But it's what's natural versus what's unnatural. I mean, you could argue that what was unnatural was what happened to the VIX last year. The VIX is trading around 20 right now, and that's a pretty natural number for the VIX. That is the long-term average, and we talked about 2018. In 2017, Danny, there are 20 moves this year, this calendar year, of 1% or more, right? So you think about you know the risk coming back. People should not concern risk. Right and and uh, volatility right. as as a concern they are different volatility where we are now is a much more natural number and we can talk about where we go as the fourth quarter I mean as the second quarter begins and the first quarter ends right it's money talk Annex Wealth Management the website annexwealth.com you're always welcome to join the show at four one four seven nine nine one six twenty that is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line again annexwealth.com. Watch your investments grow with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. March 31st, as the quarter turns, so as we, uh, as we spin into new quarters, what, what are you hearing? What are you well, knowing? let's close out the last quarter. I mean, you, you look at it and say we've had this, this unprecedented run. It's been a long time since we had this many up quarters in a row. I think uh, 2015 was the last time we had this kind of a streak. Yeah, it was 11 quarters in a row. 11 right? quarters in a row up. And you think about that, and people start to get complacent and just looking and saying, you know, there's no volatility. My, my accounts go up every month or every quarter. You have to look and say, what is, you know, what's the prospect going forward? I think that's the important thing, Dave, is as we start to turn the page into the second quarter, we're going we're gonna to see some numbers. We're going to know what uh, GDP was in the first quarter. We're going to know what unemployment was. We know that number pretty well already. Retail sales, all those kinds of things are going to come out. Earnings, of course, and that's that. I think that's that's worth talking about. It is worth talking about, and that's at the end of the quarter, Danny. There's this thing called window dressing, and what particularly mutual funds you'll see them do that is before the end of the quarter, they'll go in and they'll start moving stocks around because they have to report what they own at the end of the quarter, and so they'll start putting the stocks in there that they want to own and that they 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 don't want to show the ones that have not done well. That is happening, and that's the reason why you saw some of the some of the motivation uh, with the Fang stocks. There's this also a similar situation where I mentioned that ETFs are a huge part of the market today. There's these things called smart beta portfolios, and it's an exchange trade fund, but they are actually they're supposed to be slightly managed as well. And so a lot of that is happening as well too. We went into the end of the quarter. You saw all this money sloshing around, uh, you know, like a uh, like a washing machine. But now you see what's happening going forward to the second second quarter, and that is what Mark is talking about. 
And this is expected to be as good of an earnings season as we have seen in decades. I mean, 30, 40 years. And the reason why is because of the impacts of the tax reform. So companies are going to show a positive quarter because of the taxes that they may have paid in Q4 to make Q1 look better. And that's that's what happens. So what happens starting next week is that's the first quarter earnings coming out. And that's the report of that. And that's what we're going to see. Is window dressing kind of gaming the system a little bit? bit. It is. I mean, you're a fund manager. You want to look smart, right? And at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's not a good thing from a fund manager standpoint to do this because, yeah, you report that you owned, let's say, pick a stock, Amazon, during the entire quarter. But if you bought it at the end of March, you didn't get the upside of Amazon. I'm just picking a stock. So window dressing is something that investors should be aware of. Is, is looking, and it's part of that x-ray that we do, Dave, is looking at the individual holdings inside your mutual fund. It's one thing to say I own a large cap mutual fund. It's another thing to say what do I own in that mutual fund. And so doing that x-ray and, and having somebody you know do that comparison for you, I just looked at a mutual fund that that I own in my dad's foundation, and it's 6% Amazon. I was surprised by that. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why when you look at it, those holdings, and people say, why well, I have a particular large-cap equity fund. Well, we go and we do that X-ray, and we go, what are the holdings? And then we apply our fundamental analysis to those individual holdings. And I think people would be surprised. We saw one index where Amazon uh, was as much as 20% wow. of that particular index. So you have to know what you own and why you own it. We say it all the time. But there's a particular reason why we do that is because people, sometimes get overweighted. They'll buy this exchange-traded fund or this large-cap fund, and we see that as well. I have this Fidelity fund and I have this Vanguard fund, and you'll look at them, and they own the same stocks. I mean, right down the list, one through ten. Right, then you add them together, and you say, wow, I had no idea I had that much exposure to a sector whether it's energy or whether it's technology, and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. And, and that, of course, is, is a measure of risk. And so when you do that, you say, all right, yep. I own this, and maybe I have an overweight in that position. That, therefore, puts me up the risk schedule and that is not what i wanted to do exactly should the individual investor watch this with this detail i mean that that's that's be of that's beyond us well you know it i think it's it's the the whole environment has changed i think years ago there was a lot more do-it-yourselfers mm-hmm. uh and I, I and i also think it's been more complex i would say that most of the people that come to see us have some type of, of advisor. You know, it might be at, at a bank or a brokerage firm, or it might be a kind of pseudo do-it-yourselfer who's at one of the uh, custodians, mm-hmm. but they need help. There, There isn't a lot of people who are out there slinging it by themselves and making their own trades. There are people, there's probably listeners right now who say, I'm doing that, but I'd say most of the people that see us, and we see a lot of people during the week, are not doing that. Okay. Now, if you want to work with some pros, Annex Wealth Management, their number is 262-786-6363. You'll hit that website. First thing you'll see is know the difference, huge difference. Hit activate, uh, and you can set up that free portfolio analysis. The difference is the team, it is technology, it is trust. Again, AnnexWealth.com. From simple investments to stock advice, back to Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Money Talk Saturday. It is March 31st. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line, joined by Mark Oswald and Dave Spano. Let's see. I had a bunch of notes, guys. I know that um, fear, fear was one of the things we talked about because I'm seeing fear like crazy. And, and Do you guys ever find that, that there's a certain segment of financial reporters that, that almost sees on what would scare people or yes. which would be a little bit negative? Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, we were talking in the last segment about, you know, what what do individual investors do? What do they digest? 
And the difference between now and 30 years ago is the amount of information that they have. And it becomes harder for some people to make decisions given that amount of information. Yeah, and, and, and I agree with that. And I think what has happened, particularly after the earnings season ended, Danny, it appeared to me that the, the non-financial media was in, was in, has infiltrated the financial media. Because even mm. the financial media was reporting things that looked like it belonged in, you know, a, a regular On newspaper, right? Sure. I, was, I, I almost made a political comment. I yep. pulled it back. Nice job. Right. And so you, you look at it and you say, all right, that is what you're seeing. And, and it's particularly in the financial media. And that's the reason why in the short term, the tweets and all of that information, right, that is what was moving the market. Again, the, you know, the stuff with Amazon. Obviously, the Facebook issue is, is real, but that's, was, there's a political story behind that. You look at uh, the trade war. And you look at what's hap- happening around the industry. Now you pull that away, and we're going we're gonna to make that point again. Once we go into the fourth quarter and an earnings seasons begin, this next earnings season begins, and it appears to be good, this may have been a viable bottom, right? Now, there's, there's an argument, argument to be made that if it breaks through the 200-day moving average and it's not that far away, it might be Katie bar the door. You'd have to say, why is it going to do that? What is, there, is there going to be an event that drives that? Otherwise, you look at great uh, earnings season, you look at record employment numbers, you look at a, at a Fed who continues to have, be in an accommodative stead, uh, a stance, despite that their, uh, their, their kind of twisted argument that they made. I mean, they were both uh, hawkish dovish and, and dovish in yeah. the same statement. So, I mean, you look at that, and of course, then you look at business confidence, consumer confidence. Consumer confidence is a number that we haven't seen in a long, long time. That leads to consumer spending. Dave, and go back you, and yeah. I'm sorry. Go back and talk a little bit about the earnings growth and the expectation on earnings because I think that 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 can get lost for investors. And it's such a monumental thing when you start thinking about the rate of growth of earnings, and that's supportive of stock prices and, and indexes going higher. And I think that we have to make sure that listeners understand that this morning because as these numbers start to come out next week, the coming weeks that happen, when they have beats on the revenue and on the earnings side. And we're seeing earnings growth that is in the 10%, 12%, up to 20% range on different companies that are earning more money and returning more uh, value to investors. That's a pretty that's a pretty powerful thing. Yeah, and that is a really great point. And there's a, a, a something that we put together, and it goes back 20, 25 years. And in one column, it shows what is the earnings growth, and the next to that is what is the S&P return. And there is a correlation right. between companies and the earnings growth and the S&P 500 and the rate of return. And if you look down and you compare those columns, I mean, it's really shocking. And so we're going to see earnings growth. So is that going to lead to an S&P return that's positive, that matches that earnings growth? Some will say yes, and some are going to say no. And the people in the no camp are going to say, well, we borrowed that last year. In fact, we traded ahead of what we expected is going to be good earnings growth. And so maybe we're going to have a flat, a flat S&P return because the earnings growth, earnings growth was traded already. But no one's saying that we're going to have negative earnings growth. Therefore, no one is saying that we're going to have a 20 25% down, a downdraft from here. At least I should, most people aren't. I mean, there's a couple of Dr. Doom people out there sure. who are saying, well, if something happens with North Korea, if China, we get into a trade war with China, all of those things, and those are concerns. And that's the reason why we have to balance this risk and these returns, Mark. Certainly, and, and it, all of these things point to at least some sort of an inflationary environment. 
an inflationary environment, at least in the short term, it drives confidence. It drives consumer confidence. It drives business confidence. And so when you have more money, you have more earnings. You think about it. You know, If a company made $5 in this quarter of last year and they make $6 or 20% more in this quarter of this year, think about all that money and what does the company do with that money? Do they take a new idea? Do they expand? Do they go to M&A? Do they return more dividends to the investor, which drives the stock price higher? Do they you know, get into a, a situation where they buy a competitor? So all of those things are good for the prices of stocks, and all of those things are good for the stock market. So you talk about inflation, and most people look at that as having a really negative connotation. You know, inflation, runaway inflation is bad, but some inflation is good. And everything that's going on in the economy right now points to some inflationary growth and that's good for the economy. Mark, there's, what, 11 sectors that, that are tracked? Yeah. Are, are there any that are that appear that they might be stronger in the, in the future or weaker in the future? Well, in the futures, you know, right now, in the now, when we look at the sectors and where we've been tactically heavy, we've been in, in technology, we've been in healthcare, we've been in consumer discretionary, and we've been in, in uh, financials. And those sectors have done pretty well this year. Technology is still up about 4%. But as we've said on the show many times, sometimes it's the sectors you don't own. We've stayed away from energy. We've stayed away from utilities. We've stayed away from consumer staples, and those sectors have suffered a little bit this year. Gotcha. Bottom of the hour, 30 minutes left. Do you want to join us? 414-799-1620. Money tips that don't cost a thing. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. 1034 at WTMJ. Saturday, it is March 31st, our last show uh, for this month. It's Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. I'm, my name is Danny Clayton. There is Mark Oswald and Dave Spano. We're just talking a little basketball off air, but I know you have a real heart for basketball. Yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. I was glad to see the Milwaukee Divine Savior wow. graduate uh, from uh, from Notre Dame beat yeah. UConn, their first wow. loss of the season, yeah. and one of their only losses in years. So uh, it was great to see her uh, see her do that. And you know, her brother, by the way, uh, you know he he played for the Badgers, and he's he's now with the Washington Redskins. He's with the Redskins. Yeah, well, actually, you know, he my my youngest son played with him. Well, and, he was on the and, same team. Same, same team, right. and and I don't think they quite knew what to do with him. And Dari, well, they played, I, they played, he was a defensive back. He was the DB, yeah. Coach Maz, <laughs> if you're listening, buddy, you might have been playing for running back. All <laughs> right, right, so, okay. you know, there's a lot of things going on. We did talk about, you know, we're earnings. I think we, we covered that, Mark. We talked about fear. You know, one of the other things that, that is happening right now is this conversation between active and passive, and there that has become a dominant conversation, and I started the show saying 20 Five years of exchange-traded funds. Some of our listeners don't know what that means. So talk a little bit about what an exchange-traded fund is and the reason why we think that it has become such a dominant force in the financial services business. Think, think of a mutual fund, right? I mean, a mutual fund, you, you hire a manager, and that's what we mean when we say active management. Somebody or a team of some buddies are out there actively managing the portfolio. The ETF is kind of the opposite of that. They're kind of cousins, but they're kind of different in a lot of ways. They're a collection of different companies, just like a mutual fund is, but an exchange-traded fund is a fund that's comprised of a lot of different stocks in a particular uh, discipline. For instance, you might have an exchange-traded fund that is energy-oriented or financials-oriented or technology-oriented or China-oriented. So you can be really tactical about where you want to be around the world. So you know, when we started the bull market in 2009, a lot of people were in ETFs, and they look at it and say, well, why wouldn't I always be in ETFs? Because they perform pretty well. But in an up market, when you talk about quarter after quarter after quarter, the market's going up, you know, then the passive management, because you're buying the index, the index itself is going up. 
when you look at active management, Dave, you're looking at somebody saying, okay, if there's 500 stocks in the S&P 500, let's use that as an example. There's some good, some bad, and some ugly in there, right? So, you know, an active manager is supposed to say, let's take out the bad and the ugly and expose ourselves to the good companies. So they might own 60 or 70 or 80 names in the S&P 500, which is fairly symbolic of the overall S&P 500, but the idea is to try to beat that passive index over a period of time. Right, and so you look at that, and the reason why that happens is because they want to drive the cost down. And so you look at the the benefits of an exchange trade fund, number one is that they're less expensive because you don't have management involved. And so you're buying an index, and it's supposed to be less expensive, and you can see some of the biggest funds in in the country are, you know, two basis points, three basis points, and, you know, you're talking about 2% of one. I mean, it is is really inexpensive for a a lot of these very large exchange trade funds. So cost is lower. And they're transparent. And the reason why I brought that up is because we talked about great window dressing. You don't have to report, if you're a mutual fund, you don't have to report until the after the quarter. And then you can say, these are the stocks that we own. With an exchange-traded fund, you see what they are on a daily basis. That's transparency. And so you can know if someone owns a large percentage of Amazon today. The entire list. The list, yeah. Because a lot yeah. of times, if, if you poke into a um, mutual fund, you'll see, what, top 10? Top it's 10, top right. 10 holdings. Well, and sometimes That's top it. 25, right? Okay. Good morning, right. sorry, top 25. But then the third thing, of course, is liquidity. With what I what I mean by that is if you want to sell a mutual fund, you wake up on Monday and at 8.31, you want to sell yeah. that fund, you're going, to, you're going to get the close at the end of the day. An exchange-traded fund, it, it trades like a stock. In other words, you can sell it at 8.32 if you want and get that price. And so that is a big benefit as well. It seemed that when ETFs first came in, that was their whole pitch. Hey, they trade just like stocks. Right. right. Well, tra- cost, transparency, liquidity, those are all part of it. And, 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 in fact, institutions are doing this now. Instead of going out and buying 12 stocks, so you say you want to buy whatever industry you want to pick on. Let's pick on, uh, for example, technology. So instead of going out and buying Google, Facebook, you know, and, and write down right. write down the list. You can buy this one exchange traded fund that is in the technology sector, and you can get pretty granular and buy just those individual names. I mean, sorry, that individual securities, and then you get those things. So that is a benefit. There's no question about it. The problem with it is there is an answer for passive, and there's an answer for active. And as Mark said, you get the good with the bad and the passive. So there are times that you are you want to have a manager fret I mean vet all of the names that they have and make sure that you know what you own and that is not the case with all exchange traded funds. And Dave, I mean we're not advocating for either. We're not advocating for mutual funds or for ETS because we use both. Right. I think the best results if you look at it passive and passive, passive management, passive investing, active management with passive go right down that list. We feel the best results, and we have evidence of that, is that you have a combination of both. Sometimes passive, sometimes active. It is Annex Wealth Management. That's the way they roll. If that sounds right, if that sounds good for you, 262-786-6363. Listen, just know the difference. That is important. It is team. It is technology. It is trust. Get professional help with your portfolio. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. 1044, WTMJ, Saturday, March 31st. Uh, Money Talk is on the air with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald. Mark and Dave, I... I I think about all the client meetings that we have every week, you know, in the hundreds at our five locations. And, um, you know, the number one question that people have is, will I have enough? You know, it's that retirement planning. And I know you did some research this week kind of on what, what's been coined as a retirement crisis. 
And for a lot of people, it's scary to look down, you know, look down the barrel and say, you know, I got five years left, or I got two years left, or I got ten years left, and then I want to be done. Mm-hmm. And will I have enough? Mm-hmm. And that is the one. That is the question. That everybody, in, everyone in this room as well, will I have enough to retire? And so that's what people want to talk about. And so is there a crisis in this country? That, that is a concern because there are 50% of Americans who haven't saved anything. And so their only safety net is going to be Social Security. And, of course, we all know that Social Security needs, needs to have some shoring up. Now, you talk about how they're going to fix that. What I've said to everybody is there's two sides of, of the balance sheet, of, I mean, the income statement, the, right? There's, there's income and there's expenses, and you're going to have to fix it. Now, you don't have to totally tear it apart. A couple of changes on the income side and a couple of changes on the ex- expense side, and it will, it will survive. If they do nothing, if they do nothing, in about 15 years from now, people are going to get 75% of their Social Security check, and most people won't be able to, to, uh, to, to work without that. So there has to be some conversation, and they call it the third rail. What are you going to do? Are you going to raise the revenues? Are you going to, are you going to lower the expenses? Are you going to expa- extend the, uh, the age that people can claim? Whatever it is, so there's going to have to, be, have to have some address to this situation. And when that happens... This can get off of the front pages, and people can go back to saying, all right, we know Social Security is going to be there, and it, it, I understand it's a, it is a safety net, but this is part and parcel of a retirement plan. What's really interesting is our central planning department is doing this with our clients. So people will come in and say, let's make an assumption. We put it up on a screen. It's interactive, and we can say, let's assume you get 100% of your Social Security. Okay, let's, now let's assume that it, it goes away altogether. And there's no Social Security. What but, happens? But, that, but, that's, but that's not a reasonable expectation. No, no, but I'm if saying, they do nothing, it, the people are going to get 75%. So I don't want our listeners to say it's not going to be there understand, because that's but not I, the situation. Understand, but it, the hypothetical is you can take the entire range. You, know, you can say, what if it's 70%, what if it's 75%, what if it's 80%, and then what if I take it at 67 what if my wife takes it at 70 Those times, of, Those kinds of what-if scenarios are really interesting to do because you don't just do it once. We're doing it in an interactive environment and, and really doing retirement planning on the fly. You, you must see people's eyes widen. No, well, it's, sure. it's fun. It, I get to it, it's interesting because, and I didn't mean to jump in on you, Mark, but I, I think it's interesting and for a number of reasons, and the reason why is because it's interactive. Well, it is, and it's the peace of mind. I, you know, you see the wide eyes sometimes, but then the other piece of it, the other side of it is that you see people kind of lean back in their chair, and they're contented. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, I like this plan. I mean, this makes sense to me. And so, you know, that's why, you know, we bring up retirement planning, and we've got a presentation coming up on April 10th in Mequon Retirement Roadmap, and it's all about these conversations. It's about starting the conversation about let's get you into a situation where we do an x-ray on what you own so you know why you own it, and then looking at retirement planning and saying these are the variables. I have a pension. I don't have a pension. Social Security, what's it going to look like at my Social Security? What if I take it at 67? What if I take it at 70? All those kinds of questions that come into it, and that retirement roadmap is a great workshop. It's in Mequon on April 10th at 6 o'clock at our Mequon office, and it'll fill up. So, you know, that's probably our most popular popular one, right, Dave? I mean, it's in terms of people asking that question and looking for some help. Or just when you show up. If you show up, yeah. then it's well, popular. If beer, Sometimes if we I bring have beer, to have like, yeah. one of those deli tickers outside the door. It gets that way. But, you know, you talk about fixing Social Security. That has to be a conversation that has to have, you know, making 401Ks better. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about individual planning, individual investing. But, you know, a lot of folks, that are listeners today, 
don't know that we have a presence in the 401k business as well. And the reason why we're doing this is we think it's important. We see a lot of people coming in with their 401k rollovers, and they hated their plan, or they hated their choices, or they paid too much, but we do that as well. We do, and, and qualified plans are important because employers have a responsibility. They're fiduciaries to their employees. So if, if we're, a, as an employer, Annex Wealth Management, we have a 401k plan, of course, and so the 401k plan itself, the employer is a fiduciary to the employees. Well, that's true whether you're manufacturing widgets or whether you're a financial services company. So a lot of those employers are coming to us and saying, hey, we, we realize we're in this position as a fiduciary. Could you be a co-fiduciary to us? Could you also help us be a fiduciary along with us to these plan participants? And then what's really attractive, Dave, is that we do that education, that education piece, that 404C piece where they have an obligation to go out and educate their employees. We come in and do that for you. So it's not your HR person or the CFO that's doing it. It's a qualified fiduciary like Annex Wealth Management. So in 15 seconds, can you just talk about our wellness and what we're doing for folks? Yeah, you I mean really going out onto the work site, you know, and, and you look at um, employee effectiveness and retention and the days worked and all those kinds of things. They're, they're markedly different for a company that has a wellness program in place. And so we're doing that. We're installing that with a number of our employer plans, and there's a lot of employers that are coming to us for that reason, saying, yes, you can manage the 401K, but we want the wellness program. Back in a bit, it's Money Talk, Canix Wealth Management, WTMJ. Spreading the wealth every Saturday. Here's more Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Final segment, Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. Uh, head to Jackson. Good morning, Paul. You're on WTMJ. Yes, good morning. You know, uh, I'm getting to my later years. I got about a good 10 years ago yet, and I've been building up my business and doing a lot of good investments. And when I was younger, I was irate about the fact that we might not have the Social Security there as a backdrop later on. And I was always very adamant that I wanted every cent that I paid in coming back out when I was eligible for collecting it. But as I got a little later in life here, I'm doing very well, probably going to wind up selling my business in a few years. I'm going to have more than enough that that Social Security is not going to mean anything to me. And I would like to see it come to fruition that we have means testing on there because if I'm rich enough that I can say I didn't have to collect on my Social Security, I think I'd be kind of proud to be able to say that. Mm -hmm. And with a lot of people forget that, that, you know, we are, we're all in the same country, and, all, and I'm not a liberal. <laughs> Let's get that very straight. Uh, but the point being is I think that's something that should be done because if it's not there, I'm going to collect it, right. which I'm entitled to. Right. So let me, let me address it. So a couple of things. Number one, I'm glad that you're, you've been fortunate enough to, to be in this situation. But it's the same thing that I, that I hear when I hear you know, some very, very rich people say, well, we should tax everybody more because I have enough money in that example. right? If you feel that way and you want to pay more in, the argument is, God bless you, write a check to the Treasury and go ahead and pay some more taxes. But why mandate that across all, uh, across all, everybody who, in some people, because you look at it and you can make this argument that means te- testing is a penalty on being thrifty. So you say, all right, you did great. You, made, you probably made a lot of sacrifices in your life and some other people didn't. And so, therefore, you are in a good position, or you've been lucky, or you've been fortunate, or you've been smart, whatever it is, and you know you got to a, a position where you where you are not where you don't need Social Security. 
But if you look at it, you look it's uh, it's against the principles of that you've earned it. There's no question. You said you put your money in when you were younger and you didn't have enough money. You wanted it back, and now your financial circumstances have changed. And if you think that you don't want it, you can take that money, Paul, and you can turn around and give it to your charity of choice. You can give it back to the Treasury. You can do with it what you want. But is means testing coming? Pick a number. I mean, the number that's been out there has been 110 or 125,000, or raise the cap. You know, the, the number that that a lot of people pick on is 250,000. The top one percent, the top 10 percent, whatever it's going to be, that is going to be a massive argument. And then you say, how is the Social Security Administration going to manage this process? And is it going to be a lot more expensive? For them to coordinate with the IRS and the Social Security system to say, all right, what have you done? How much have you made? You know, you know how much have you made this year? Because when you're talking about means testing, you're talking about income. You can't means test net worth. If you're a farmer and you have five million dollars in your farm, but you only make eighty thousand dollars a year, you can't means test that. You have to means test the income, and then the games are on. And everyone is going to drive down their income, find alternative sources of income, whatever it's going to be. So I hear it. I get your point. I'm glad you've been fortunate, but I don't think your position is going to be shared across. Now, yet dives us right dead directly into a political conversation, which I try to avoid on this show because you know we are a divided country. There's no doubt about it, and we're trying to give balanced financial uh, advice for all of our listeners. Well, so I think it's it's a good point. I think it's it's a worthwhile conversation, but I'm not sure that it's it's in a position to pass. Um, I would think that uh, your client base is pretty balanced. It, I mean, it, it you is. Got, you got yeah. everybody, right? I mean, that that's... Yeah, well, we, always, my own family is balanced, right? <laughs> wow. Right. Well, not, I mean, yeah. un, you mean unbalanced? Yeah, well, well, I'm well, unbalanced. But politically, that's, perhaps. Yeah, but. that's what he meant. Well, okay. So, right. so, so, I mean, so that's the point. So we are providing advice to our clients, and, and they pay us to do so. And so it doesn't, it doesn't do us any good to have a political posture. I think the argument I, I gave against means testing is supported by a lot of people. You know, David, I never thought of it, but... Um, the, the point about the administration and the cost of the administration, you think about that, you've got a drain on a bucket of money ready, already. You start putting another level of government on top of that that's going to have to do this. I never even thought about the cost of trying to do means testing. It sounds nice in a, in a vacuum where you just go, well, I've got enough, I don't need it. But when And what if your income varies from year to year? I mean, are you in Social Security one year and out of Social Security the next year and then you're back in it again? It's really, you know, I had never thought about the cost of administration, but so, that, so, that so probably Paul, rules it out. Right. So in Paul's situation, and we're running out of time, in Paul's situation, he sells his business. Now his income spikes up, and maybe he sells it over a number of years. He, you know, they earn right. out three, four years, and then his income goes up, and now he doesn't get it, and then then that income runs out, and now he needs it, and now he goes back and opts back into Social Security. I, I just think it's it's a non-starter. But I, the, my point is that there has to be something has to be done. You have to raise the income, either raise the cap that people are paying taxes on or lower the or lower the benefit, one or a combination of those things, to make sure that Social Security is going to be there. All right, Dave Spano, have a blessed uh, Easter weekend. You, Appreciate you that. And Mark, I just listeners. checked. We've got 10 slots left open for Retirement Roadmap. So if you do want to get in on yeah, that one, this in one do it this week. Do it again. AnnexWealth.com presents uh, Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, WTMJ. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Scripps Media Incorporated.